Shabbos, as in any other time the outside was, the Rebbe would daven for the Ahmed, the entire Shabbos, the Rebbe would lead the services, the entire Shabbos. During the weekday it was no phenomenon, of course. The Rebbe led the services during the weekday, it's a regular prayer, regular tefillis. Hashem Kenan Shabbos, there's a lot more involved, as we know, Kabbalah Shabbos and Shachris and Musaf. We know that many people that vie for the Ahmad that appreciate their own voices as they go to the Ahmad and they enjoy how people toss and turn throughout the davening. Um, the Rebbe would not stand on ceremony. The Rebbe would not daven that way. The Rebbe daven for the Ahmed. There was a basic nusach. Basic, basic touch of nusach. Meaning the liturgy with which the Rebbe davened. One realized, recognized that this was a Shabbos davening. But the Rebbe did not consider himself a chazan by any means. A cantor and therefore did not sing and did not perform but rather went through the davening in a very meaningful fashion it was very very inspirational one heard the Rebbe's voice basically throughout the shul and if someone of course dropped a pin or a button popped off you heard that too And of course, the Rebbe would fabring Shabbos afternoon. The Rebbe had the utmost respect for his mother and father. Unfortunately for the Rebbe, he was separated from his father for many, many, many years. As his father was sent away to Kazakhstan, to Almata. That's east of Moscow. Um, actually, it's the end of the world after Moscow. You pass Moscow, you keep going east until the world finishes. That's Almata. It was a favor from the Derfel, as they would call it. It was a little town. It's actually a town. It was a large town, actually, with quite a population. The Rebbe's father was the chief rabbi of Russia. A very prominent position. But unfortunately, in the time of communism, it was not a glorified position. One had to put up with a lot, a lot of bureaucracy. Everything was red tape. When the Russians saw there was a lousy stack of wheat for matzahs, it was wet, whatever the case was, they tried to force the Blavik's hand to allow the use of the matzahs. Blavik, of course, would not falter any which direction, except for the right one. And ultimately, this is one of the reasons they sent him off to exile. 
Rebbeik was a known Kabbalist. He was a phenomenal mind, a mathematician. He also wrote his Biurim al explanations and elaborates on many different topics in the Zohar. And there he is buried in Almatan. There are people now that really um, make it a point to be there every year Chafav in Almata. Especially the last few years it was on Shabbos. It was a little more difficult, but yet they they make the trek. The Kibbutz, as we spoke about, the respect that Rebbe had for his parents was just so outstanding that we heard from the Rebbe's the Rebbe's mother that since the Rebbe was by mitzvah she never saw the Rebbe's back he never turned around we've told this before needless to say how painless, painful it must have been for the Rebbe not to be able to perform the actual mitzvah of Kibbutz being that his father was so far away I believe he could write his commentaries on the borders of his Zaya. Rebetzin Chana would make the ink for him or would secure the feathers and the man was a Yamash Mipiv the man was constantly, constantly learning. He was thrown into severe prisons, put through much persecution. But Reb Leivik, Chafov, was always a high mark in the year in Chabad, as the Rebbe always sought to it to very, very Uh, respectfully honor that day. If it was Shabbos, it would be if I bring a Shabbos afternoon, and if it was during the week, it would be the night following Chof Of. Came Gang Israel in New York would always come in for Chof Of. During the weekday, they'd come in during the day and stay for Fabrengen. They'd stay for a Sicha 2 or 3, which is very, very cute, nice, and beautiful. You'll see of old videos of Chof Of, you will see their participation and each child was given to Elchayim and they answered each child separately and my personal note Erev Shabbos Mishitarach Erev Shabbos Yechel B'Shabbos someone that involves himself on Erev Shabbos on the eve of Shabbos ultimately eats on Shabbos and the preparations that we do for Arab Shabbos the normal circle of day of Chabad one does his regular work day, his shul, his davening his whatever job he has and almost every Chabad they find somewhere, somehow time to go on Miftzayim or to find somebody that he connects with that he puts on filling with Many, many, many people have that custom. I've always had the custom since the Rebbe instituted Mifzit Tfilin. Now, during these trying times in Israel, where our brethren should be protected, brothers and sisters, and that's Israel, that's Eina Akdesha, which is Eina Hashem Alekechabam, Eresh Sashana, Yadach Hashana, should be protected and should be watched over. Guarded and the miracle should continue, and their enemies be wiped. And in such a trying time, filling campaign is very strong. Filling is going in the thousands.
before we get to current events, I'd like to mention this Shabbos, head of Shabbos, Friday, being that we're talking about Ebi Shtarach, head of Shabbos. This Friday is my mother, Lashalom outside. Also a very unique, unique person in her own way. Very apropos that her yard should be on Erev Shabbos Pashas Ekev. Taylor tells us Vahoy Ekev Tishmun The word Ekev in the beginning of our Pasha has two explanations. Rashi immediately explains the mitzvahs that are easy that one steps on with their heel to those mitzvahs one should heed. And then Rashi says, Ekev Meloshin Acharis, future. Going about the schar that the Jews will receive in the future years, in the later years. These two explanations, the Rebbe tells us in the Kutateta that Dafke through the elevations and the purifications of the lowest of low can one achieve to reach as high as possible we look at a scale the two sides of a scale when one goes down as far as it goes the other side goes high as possible and through this we understand in order to receive the greatest rewards which is in the days after after life person needs to do the mitzvahs kalas, those simple mitzvahs that one steps on their ankle because through this these simple mitzvahs one can achieve one can ascertain one can reach to the highest of levels But the concept of more than anything else the Medish Tanchuma tells us a person should not sit and measure the greatness of Teda but as the Mishnah says in Pekayavis in the beginning of Perek Beis beginning of the second chapter chapter of our fathers one should be careful with the simplest mitzvah as the most stringent. And we find that although the Tata was separated, divided, simple mitzvahs and more stringent mitzvahs, we find that the mitzvah that has more reward and mitzvah that has less reward, still in all, the Jew needs to strive to do all mitzvahs equally with Kabbalah sale. Because all of them are mitzvahs from Hashem. And the want that we do to each one is equal so if God wants us to do even every mitzvah equally the Seichel HaPashit should also understand that why does the Tehra tell us shouldn't sit and measure all mitzvahs are equal equal rights to every mitzvah The Aved of Kabbalah's El, of accepting the yoke of heaven, understanding in Seichel the difference between mitzvahs, which they are truly divided up according to Tera, but still in all a person is accepting upon themselves that each mitzvah they're doing equally. They don't care if this is an easier mitzvah, this is a harder mitzvah. The main thing is the mitzvah must be done for God and therefore they're doing it. And although the person knows these are mitzvahs kalis, these are simple mitzvahs, the seichel, the, the seichel has a thought, thought pattern, that these are the ones that we step on with our heels. 
still in all, the person must be very careful and must be immaculate how they te- do and do and accept each and every mitzvah. Mishpatim, as we know, the three types of mitzvahs, the Eidus Chukim Mishpatim. The Mishpatim are the mitzvahs that we understand, that I come up with reasons, that are reasonably understandable that we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't hurt, we can't kill, can't steal. What does that have to do with our ikhev, with our heel? This all goes into the same category of Kabbalah sale. In the olden days, one would say they measured a good hot bath. For a baby, before you put the baby in the hot bath, you put your elbow in. And that's because you're holding the baby that way. You're holding the baby, before you put immerse the baby, put your elbow in to see... I don't know that the elbow is the most sensitive part of the body. You put your elbow in to see if it's too hot for the baby. By us, we measure in the mikveh. When you go to the mikveh, you put your foot in first. You put in your heel first to see if the mikveh is too hot to go into. The heel goes in with Kabbalah cell. He doesn't make a reckoning. Your hands and your arms, your body... Your head to immerse the body, in the head, the head into this water, everything is calculated thereafter. The heel does it become all the sail. And therefore, in comparison to the same as the mitzvahs, not differentiating the mitzvahs, the simple and the hard ones. There's a famous story which I believe I've told before of a chassid of the Balshemtov that owned a farm. And somehow, I guess the uh, the landowner didn't have a proper computer system, didn't have uh, QuickBooks, and he flew under the radar for five years. Five years, nobody ever came to ask him for rent. No, I said, good is good. You don't, you know, don't don't wake up sleeping dogs. How do they say? Let sleeping dogs lie. Yeah. I think No. Five years later, he gets a visit. The royal wagon comes to his path, and the czar himself, or the baron himself, or the whatever he was, comes to his door, knocks on his door, and he opens the door. The poyidl sees him standing there. And he starts to shiver and to shake. And he grabs the Yid by the scuff of his collar and he says to him, Who do you think you are? For five years you didn't pay a penny rent? You listen here, mister. I give you one week. If you don't come to me with the entire sum of money for the five years, you, your family are out on the street. And he left. And this was scary. This was really scary. And uh, he didn't know what to do. So, he, like any chassid would do, he picks himself up and he runs to the Balshemtiv. He runs to the Bashemtov and he tells he pours out his heart, he tells him the plight, this horrific plight of what happened, what's going on now, and how he's gonna be thrown in the street, he's gonna be thrown out into the cold. Please, Rebbe, save us, save my wife, save my children, save my family. Oh, oh. Save my family. No. The Bashemtov listens to this man and the Bashemtiv takes out an envelope 
puts a letter inside. And tells the Chassid, tells the Chassid, bring this to the Baron. Bring the letter to the Baron. But the Bashemta says to him, do not look at the letter. Don't read it, I'm warning you. No. The Rebbe says, the Rebbe says, he takes the envelope, he takes the letter, and he starts to travel. It was a very long journey. A very, very long journey. And people, they're traveling, and he's traveling to Bechalon. The thoughts are going through his head, back and forth. What does this letter actually say? What could the Rebbe have possibly written? Then it occurred to him, the Rebbe doesn't speak Polish. He only speaks Yiddish. He wrote the letter in Yiddish to the guy. Oy What could be going on? What could be this? And this back and forth, the thoughts. And he's getting more and more nervous. Finally, he gets to the palace. He gets to the palace And he parks his horse and he starts to walk up the path and he says, what if the Rebbe forgot to put in the letter? The envelope's open, it's unlocked. Bring some, bring some cookies. Bring some cookies. My and what if, and he decides, what's going to happen? I'll peek inside just to make sure there's a letter. And he, flips the flap a little bit and he looks in this taka letter inside okay at least that what could the Rebbe have possibly written and he's again going back and forth and going back and forth and he starts to move the paper a little bit from the letter and to his dismay and to his shock, he's in for big trouble. The letter is blank. The letter is blank. And he's about to turn and run for his dear life when the Baron himself opens the door. And the Baron sees him and says, Ah, You're so quick to bring me my response. Good. And he grabs the envelope out of the Jew's hand. And the Jew is about to faint. He knows this letter is a blank letter. This guy's going to kill me. He's going to blow a gasket. And. Yeah, not your wife. And the Baron takes out the paper. And he begins to look. He unfolds it. And he starts to read. And he's reading. I mean, he's reading, and he's reading, and he's reading, and he's reading. The Yid is in shock. What's he reading? There's nothing to read. It's blank. Finally, the Baron looks at the Yid, and he says, Okay, I accept this. This is, this is really a serious situation. I accept it. I'm wiping the slate. You owe me nothing. You're good to go. But from now on, every month, you better pay on time. So he got away with the five years. And now he just had to figure out how to pay every month. The chassid was exuberant. And he went flying back to the Vashem He went flying back to the Vashem to thank him. And as he arrives in the room of the Bashem HaKadosh, the Bashem asks him, No, what happened? And he tells the Bashem it was a miracle. The Rebbe saved us 
He saved me, my wife, and my children, the whole family. He saved the homemade, the homemade take. And we don't have to, he wiped the whole thing, the whole slate. My debt is free. So the Bashem Tov said to him, and that's it? So the, yeah, that's it. So he only said that you don't owe him any more money? He says, yeah. Bashem Tov looks at the Chassid and says, tell me the truth. Did you look in the envelope? And the Chassid had no choice but to say, yes, I did. He wasn't shocked that the Rebbe knew because the Rebbe has Ruach HaKedish. Hashem said, if you would not have looked in the envelope, you would never have to pay rent again. But because you looked, only got the years wiped out. Teaches us Kabbalah's oil. How one has to be a Kabbalist Elnik and has to accept the simplest of mitzvahs the simplest of mitzvahs <laughs> yes one needs to do like any other mitzvah the way of doing mitzvahs some of us do simple mitzvahs some of us do mitzvahs the easiest we can get away with it some the hardest some are very stringent make sure they go the whole nine yards plus As I said, my mother, Shalom, whose yard site is Friday, was just that type of person. She took her mitzvahs very, very seriously. She took her tehillim very, very seriously, and her mitzvahs very seriously. When she called, when her father was, when she was in the year of the Vedas of her father, she called it off. Who was at least Rabbi Marlow Lashon, who was in Avelis the same year, who was mourning the same year for her parents of his. And she asked him to do a favor. Any stringencies that he finds as he's learning in Shachanarach or anything, any stringencies that he finds, he should please let her know. Because she too wants to keep to the utmost stringencies. And actually, I got married that year that her father passed away and she had a very hard time at my wedding with the dancing etc my grandfather passed away in a year and I got married in El not after a, chi- not a child after a parent it's different no the laws in 30 days are very strict. But in, in the 12 months, there's still, there's still laws that are the laws. That are laws. Shouldn't know. Should never know. As we're speaking of, you should know, we should never know. I'd like to give a moment to my dear friend, Yisuf Yitzchak Bershaga Feivel Zal. Hayad. My friend Yossi Raksin, my son Ezra's cousin, who only recently was in my house actually, because when we had a granddaughter in the beginning of the summer, he came for the Kiddush. They were very, very close cousins. They were, I mean, close cousins, not on a daily basis that they speak, but when they did, when they saw each other, they knew that was, there was a cousin, there was family relations there. I personally went to school with most of the other brothers. Yossi was a few years older than I. Very few. Too close for comfort. Um, 
One of those guys who when you meet him, you would say he'd never heard a fly. One of those guys who stayed at a job with Kabbalah Sail for decades. Decades he worked at the same place. He wasn't an owner, it wasn't anything, it tastes like lemon. Yeah. <laughs> and just plain chsiddish. He always had a chsiddish of art to say. He always had something kind to say. Didn't have the easiest of lives. Sure not panasa wise, etc. Just played a good person. Simply went to visit his children. Spent time a little bit. His children, grandchildren. What else do we live for? And where was he caught going? He was caught going to shul on Shabbos morning. On a Shabbos where we said, Nachemu, Nachemu, Ami. Where Hashem gives us to console us in a double Lushen. On such a Shabbos. He didn't simply have the traditional heart attack from the Cholent and Kishka and Kugel. He didn't have an illness that was an ongoing illness that Nebuch took him at a young age. For being a Jew and for nothing else was cut down in the street, shot dead. I hear that he didn't die on the spot even. They airlifted him. He died in the hospital. But shot dead. It sent everybody a message. It sent us all shaking. Nobody's at peace with it. Needless to say, the community in North Miami Beach sure is going to rally together, is going to unite and stick with one another and undertake resolutions for the benefit of his neshama. But a tragedy that is in the year 2014 exaggerated. Exaggerated not much less than the Arabs shooting at the Jews, simple Jews in the streets. The Arabs walking onto a busload of Jews and blowing it up. Of innocent bystanders, citizens. It's just the epitome of the anti-Semitism in which we are facing throughout the world. And our job, our mission, is to stand up and to face this. To stand up and to say, we will not allow this to happen. We're not going to go out to war. We're not saying every Jew of the 22. We're not telling you all to go out and arm yourself. And if anybody approaches you, shoot them. If anyone screams, Heil Hitler on the street, you shoot them. I found it ironic when I was a carload of black boys drove by and screamed Heil Hitler and they're locked they got stuck by the red light right there <laughs> so I walked over to the car they were they, they were so scared they turned white and I looked at them and I said you're saluting who? I said do you know who that is? Hitler? Are you aware that Hitler killed millions of black men in Africa? And they were now apologizing for what they said, not because what I was telling them. They were just scared that I was going to flatten them. They weren't even thinking what I was telling them, that he was just as bad to the blacks as he was to the Jews. So what are you crazy? You're saluting this? What do they understand? 
I'd like to dedicate, actually, although we're a little bit into the shir by now, I'd like to dedicate the actual shir for a full shalema for Eliza Shlamas Bracha Bas Rachel Hinda. And Billy Nether, until she's cleared by all medical records, hopefully by next week we'll hear that miracle. Until then, we will dedicate Yat Hashem Billy Nether this year for her Rafua Shalema. It's a young mother, 37 years old, four little Kindlach. And um, she was stricken three years ago with a brain tumor and she was in remission and last week she went for a follow up and they found that there was again something in her head so we are hoping and praying that this is nothing and they'll come to actual tests and they will find that no it's only a mistake and that she's fine and that she'll go home and look after her children maybe she'll give her kayak to overcome all these trials and tribulations. The tale of this week's Pasha, Pasha's Akiv, starts only by Akiv Tishmun, but actually continues in many, many different things that happened and went through, and one of the things, of course, Vayancha Vayerivecha Vayachilchas Hamon. Mesha refers to the Mon. Makes a reference to the man. <sighs> what a strange reference. He afflicted you, let you go hungry, and fed you the man. So technically, the way the Pasik sounds, there are three different things. First, there was affliction. Then there was hunger, and then we had the mon. But that's not the case. The case, in essence, is the mon is called lechem oini, food of hunger, like the matzah. Like the matzah. It's not lechem oini. Lechem oini is food of, uh, of poverty. Yeah. No, like, this, is, this, is, this is called food of hunger. There's a klal in Mesechtis Yuma, for those keeping score at home, that I in Daladam at Bez, 74 side 2. When a person has pas besaloi, bread in his basket, he has a sense of security. Today you would say, if the person has money in his bank account, even if he's not going shopping, but if there's money in the account, you know that you have the capacity to go shopping. You have a bank card, you have a check, money transfers, PayPal, etc., 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 all the different ways that you can do money. Food stamps, not considered. Right? <laughs> Pas Masala, the example is actually the person that walks with the bread in his basket. Although he's hungry now, or he's, he <coughs> if he had just eaten, then he's not hungry. If he's not hungry, but he knows there's bread in his basket, hunger pangs don't come around. Mashenka, the person that has an empty basket, even though he just ate a meal, he starts to feel a little bit trepidation. What's going to become? What's going to be? And so too with the man. The reason the man was called a bread of affliction, a bread of poor, is because the person received his portion today. It was his daily portion. There was nothing left over from the portion. You finished this portion, it was gone. You were sated to an extent that Moshe institutes birchaz hamazayin, the grace after meals. The person was happy, he was satisfied. But, 
It was food of hunger and affliction. How? Ultimately, the Mun had a conflicting report within itself. It was like a Aini, it gave an Asayan of Aini, but it also gave an Asayan of Aisha. It had a test in it, within it, of poverty and of wealth. There was the rich Mun. The month that came and had even jewels in it sometimes. Again, going back, referring to Mesechus Yuma. Uh, now we're at 75 side B. No, sorry. It's all on the same page. 74 side B. It had all different tastes. It had all different features and everything else. You had to use. It was great, but it was a. It was therefore, no. From that point, it was considered a rich bread. On the other side, for the flip side, it was vayeri vecha. There was no comparison. The person that has bas, as we said, bas basali and doesn't have bas basali. This is another problem. A problem with the man was you decided the man was going to taste like a rib steak. You had the taste of a rib steak. You decided the man was going to taste like French toast, it tastes like French toast. Whatever you wanted the man to taste like, it tastes like. But it wasn't there. You didn't see the French toast, you didn't see the rib steak, you didn't feel it as you bit into it. It left you the taste, or the aftertaste, whatever it might be, but it didn't give you that satisfaction of the, when you went into it, you bit into it, that you had it. And therefore, the person was actually tortured from this, because he just did not... He was full. He was healthy. He gained weight from it even. But he didn't bite into that food. Tell the story of the Holy Rishna. The Rishna was the grandson of the, the Mazitcha Magid. And the Rishna, as, as the Bashemtav and as all Rebbe's, Chsidish Rebbe's at the time, had very, very large followings, but also had a lot of antagonists, a lot of misnagdim. And we've told stories of the Rishna before how they literally had misnagdim that hated them. One such misnagged a relative of Rabbi Kiva Ege was a Yeshua Sharif. He was a relative of Rabbi Kiva Ege. I have a great nephew of Kiva Ege. Um, he was a relative of Rabbi Kiva Ege, but he was a very, very big antagonist. His problem was worse than anything else. He married into a family of Chassidim which was a phenomenon in its own. However, he, stead, he stood steadfast as a Masnagid and the Chassidim tried to always to get him to come to Holy Rishonah. No. He had a problem. A Talmudic problem. He had a stira, a contradiction, between the Gemara and Zayhar. There was a contradiction about Nedorim and Shvuis, about vows and swearing. Which one had more severity to it? According to the Gemara, it was one. According to the Zahar, it was the other. And this is a contradiction. And he had to know 
why this, how this contradiction came out. And he had gone to many, many great sages and presented them this contradiction and nobody ever satisfactorily answered. Finally, on a strange day, he acquiesces and he goes and he agrees to his family he's willing to go to see the Rishina. However, he was going to put the Rishina to the test. If the Rishina can answer this question that he has, the stira, the contradiction between the Talmud and the Zohar, then he's alright. But if he can't answer it, then he's a like everybody else, and they're all a bluffer. But he wasn't going to make it so easy either. He wasn't asking the reason of the question. He was going to have it in mind. He was going to think the question. If the reason has Ruach HaKedosh, has truly divine inspiration, a divine spirit, then he'll figure out what I'm thinking. And if he doesn't, then I know he's a fake. No. He comes to the Rishina, and there's a room full of people. <coughs> and the Rishina is sitting. Don't throw things. The Rishina is sitting there in meditation, and A chassid comes in, a religion of chassid comes in, a very honor, honorable chassid, and the religion calls the fellow over and says, come sit next to me. And the religion is conversing with him, and then he starts talking to another chassid. And suddenly the religion jumps up and says, you know something? There are people that disrespect me. They don't have the appreciation for my knowledge, my expertise in Shas. I go through the entire Shas every single month. And yet I have people that have doubts if I'm really knowledgeable or not. My grandfather, the Magid, everybody knew, knew the Shas back and forth. But I too am extremely well versed. Then the Rishina says that in Mesechtis Bob Metzia on the Pevav Amaralif, excuse me, <coughs> the Rishina continued saying that there was once a person that came to him, to the Magid, his grandfather, the Magid, and he had a question. His question was that he has a stira in the Rambam, in the Zohar and the Gemara, in Talmud and the Zohar. It's a contradiction as far as vows and swear. Nidarim and Shuas. And he came to my grandfather and he didn't verbally ask the question. He had it in his mind and my grandfather answered his question. At this point, Rabbi Shua Sharaf was shaking already. This man, is, he hears, he knows exactly what I'm thinking. He says, here too today I have somebody with that question. But I have my own interpretation. I won't give my grandfather's, I want to give mine. He got Rabbi Shua Sharif's attention, to say the least. And he continued, There's a Gemara in Mesechtas Bob Metziah, for those keeping score at home, Pevav Amir Aleph. 86, side 1. And the Gemara brings down a Machlekes, an argument, a refute between who? between Pamaya Shemaila and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. between the Mesifta of above and the Almighty Himself 
And the machlekes had to do with saras, with a leprosy. People in certain leprosies, and this they were arguing which one is it right, is it this, is it this. And finally they could not come to a conclusion. So it was decided, let's get down to earth with people that deal with these things, leprosies, and let's hear from them. So they called on Rabbi Banachmeni. They called on Rabbi Banachmeni and they said no. And Rabbi Banachmeni heard out the argument and paskin the according to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. He said the Almighty was right. But then, years later, came Maimonides, Rambam. And Rambam wrote the Yad Halacha, wrote the Yad Hazaka, the ultimate bottom line halachas. And in this case of Tsaras, the Rambam says the opinion of Pamaya Shamayla is correct. Wow! How brazen that the Rambam is arguing with. Not only that, but he's arguing and he's saying that Davis is wrong, God forbid. No. Said Drujna, in my noble opinion, the same stands here. The same stands with us that this dispute between the Gemara and the Zayar about Shvois and Edarim is the same Achlekes between Akadish Baruch and Pamayish Shemayla. The same dispute. And therefore, yes. It's plausible that one is saying one opinion and one has another. The motto in my own family was you start something, finish it. Unfortunately, some people decided that has to be across the board and even when they start a fight they have to make sure they finish it well the Pasuk tells us all the mitzvahs that I command you today you should keep lasses to do you should come and inherit the land this is in chapter 8 Verse 1 tells us Tanchuma, the Malish Tanchuma has brought on Rashi. If you started a mitzvah, finish it. A mitzvah is only referred to somebody, it's called on the name of the person that finishes it. What is therefore Kol HaMitzvahs? Why does it say Kol HaMitzvah? It doesn't say just say a mitzvah, but Kol HaMitzvah. If it refers to every mitzvah has to be finished. And why does every mitzvah, finishing a mitzvah, connect directly with the fact that you will come into the land? Vosem Verishtem Esaretz. Perhaps we could say that the intention of this Pasuk is as follows. For 40 years the Jews were in the desert. For 40 years they kept the Teda and Mitzvahs in the desert. 
But the people, the generation of the Midbar, did not enter. So the arrival, the inheritance of the land, was pending on those that completed the mitzvah. The people of the 40th, genera- 40th year, and they had the mitzvah now to finish, to enter, and to conquer the land, and divide. So what is the merit that they had that for that they were able to conquer and divide? Because Tishminun Nasis. They kept to them. They kept the mitzvahs. The fact that they finished off the mitzvah, they completed the mitzvah in its entirety, that's what got them the merit to ultimately go into the Holy Land. To finish a mitzvah. There's a story many years ago. Not so many. Of a child. The Nishvakenim had a ruptured appendix. He had uh, appendicitis, whatever they call it. And the rupture was very bad. By the time the child got to the hospital... This is in Israel. The doctor said to the parents, to the family, we're going to operate, but we're relying on miracles. When you hear a doctor, a medical doctor, who considers himself God himself, and feels that he's the one that does the healing, and when he says that um, there's nothing really we can do, but we're going to do and see what happens you know you're in trouble kids of the family heard this and they started to call everyone they knew to say Tehillim for the child Tehillim was going full speed ahead when finally the father realized you know I have to go to Chabad he davened in Chabad I'm going to go to my rabbi my Chabad rabbi and tell him to ask the Rebbe for bracha. And he came into the Chabad house, and they wrote a letter, they put it into the Igris Kedish. And the Igris Kedish, the Rebbe writes a letter many years ago to a soldier, Israeli soldier, that the Tfilin, putting on Tfilin every day, kosher Tfilin, will protect him from everything keep him safe and healthy so this Chabad Shliach took it they got to check the child's tool so immediately they ran they brought the tefillin and they decided to take off all the mezuzahs also they put it to a safer the safer found all the mezuzahs were kosher the shalresh was fine of the child the shalyad the hand tefillin had a letter, it's called a Shilas Tinuk. Shilas Tinuk is a letter that we're not sure if it's a, if it's one way or another. A Bez or a Chaf, a Vav and a Reish, a Yudnavav. What they do is they ask a child that knows the Aleph Bez, but doesn't really know how to read, but he knows the letters, and you show the child that letter, and you ask him, what do you see? If the child says the correct letter, in other words, it's supposed to be a Reish, and he says Reish, then it's kosher. If the child says it's a dalit or a vav, it's not kosher. And they say, we're going to find a child. It's already midnight. So they realized that the children of the family were all sitting there saying to them, even the three-year-old was sitting there with everybody. So they came running into the house, and they grabbed the three-year-old, they showed him the letter. It was supposed to be a resh, and he said it's a vav. Now, children, you can fix Mezuzah you can't fix. Unless it's the last letter. Otherwise in the middle you cannot fix it because it has to be written in order. So they got the safer, so the, the guy was standing there and said they have to fix it right now. So the safer wasn't there now. They had to go wake the safer up. 
And this chassid was relentless. And they kept telling him, listen, he's not going to put on tefillin tomorrow morning anyway, leave him alone. But he's waking the poor guy up for us, there's nothing doing. It's not kosher, the child has to have kosher tefillin. And they woke up the sefer, the sefer fixed it, they wrapped it up again, they put it in. In the morning, the doctors came out, they were much more optimistic, and they said, Baruch Hashem, miraculously this child is okay. So they told the whole story with the tefillin. And the doctor said, when did this happen? So they said, they got it fixed about 1 o'clock in the morning. So the doctor showed them the chart for the child. And he showed them at 1 o'clock in the morning, the child's condition started to improve. Kabbalah said, but even more so, finishing the mitzvah. Not putting off, not procrastinating. Although the union of procrastinators are having, you know, like you have AA and you have drug groups and everything. So they have a group of procrastinators also that meet in order to learn how to overcome their procrastination. So they got a message out right away, right before the meeting. The meeting is going to be tomorrow. By us, we can't procrastinate any longer. We can't wait any longer. In the schools of the outside of Friday, the schools of the outside of Shabbos, we should merit the Nevuah, Hekitzov Ramnu Sheikh Neofar, and Ablevik with his, would be able to stand side by side with his son and lead us. And my mother, Lashalom, I believe Rabbi Levi Bistritsky also has the outside. Friday Yutesov there's another one also the winners also have but all the people all the outside should all stand up and we should all go to Yerushalayim and Akedish this very Shabbos Shabbat Shalom to all Amen.